Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week with me is a special guest, Chris Christensen. He's also a uh, podcaster. But first, let's just say hello to Chris. Chris, how's it going? I'm still alive, so that's, you know, giving the uh, subject of the podcast, that's pretty good. Excellent. Yes, and uh, we have so far only had a live guest. We are definitely looking for that um, first dead one, so... If you or anyone else has one, let us know. Um, and my brother actually uh, was booking uh, your uh, – my brother booked you, rather, for this podcast, and it's because he has gone on your podcast before. So I thought it would be nice to start with that. Can you give us a little background, um, how you started your podcast, what it's called, where to get it? Uh, well, you say podcast. I have two active podcasts. I've had five before, so first you have to admit you have a problem. I My longest-running podcast that your brother has been on – is Amateur Traveler, which is a travel podcast that has been in production since 2005 and every week talks about a different destination. And then I also do a faith-based podcast called The Bible Study Podcast. And that's the one that's actually going to be more prominently talked about today. Probably. (laughs) Um, But actually, let's just start with the kind of light material. I usually ask my guests, um, if they don't mind, to share what generation they think they come from and where they grew up. What generation? Okay, well, I'm a late boomer officially because I was born in 1960 and I grew up in California, in uh, rural California in Salinas, which is an ag town. Awesome. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I'm from uh, the Berkeley side of the Bay Area. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, so how did you get into traveling and podcasting? They're very different questions, but... Right. So I got into traveling by exploring national parks with my parents as a kid, uh, driving all over the West, pulling a little tiny uh, 14-foot trailer. And that was, if you count the three feet of hitch, so a little tiny trailer and lots of different uh, trips there, including my first international trips, which were to Canada. And um, and then later on, when podcasting started, I was listening since early on in podcasting and it wasn't very long before I thought I ought to have a show. And I thought about doing a faith-based podcast, which I did eventually do a year later and thought about doing a tech podcast because I'm a nerd. And then um, we had some friends over for Memorial Day picnic and all the best stories were travel stories. So I started a travel podcast. That's awesome. And uh, I'm curious, were you told a lot growing up that you have a great voice for radio or did you just naturally discover that or was there any sort of push? Uh, Maybe great face for radio, but no, I don't, (laughs) I don't think I was necessarily told that. Okay. Well you do, but um, anyway, it's, thank you. My wife tells me that I've got my podcaster voice on. I don't (laughs) notice it, but I'll go downstairs and she'll say, you still, you're still talking to your podcaster voice. That's great. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, And so much like you, I am a man of faith and I am definitely involved and interested in exploring faith, all faiths as a matter of fact. So let's get into yours for today's podcast. So how would you classify yourself? A Christian. Okay. And uh, were there any specialty denomination, anything like that? I currently attend a, and have most of my life attended a Lutheran church, but a Protestant Christian is, is kind of my, my sweet spot there. A lot of my, my formative experiences in the Christian faith were in non-denominational groups, uh, both in college and before that. So um, yeah, more, more Protestant and Christian than than any particular branch. Great. And I think where I kind of want to start, and we're going to ramble and amble all over the place, but um, 
when did you, what's your earliest, what is your earliest memory of having faith, of even using that word, that concept of like calling yourself a Christian? Uh, well, I grew up in the church, so I don't remember not. <laughs> uh, my my parents actually met at a Bible study. Uh, my mom was the one who my dad, who was leading it, couldn't get her to participate as actively. Um, so at a retreat, a Lutheran student retreat way back when he was in college and she was uh, already out because it took him longer. And so, I, yeah, I grew up in the, the church. I'd say it became my faith probably when I was around somewhere in the 8 to 10 range. And— was there ever a time early on, and there might be one later, but I'd prefer to hear an early one, where your faith was tested or where you thought about maybe leaving or finding a different faith? No, not really. Not that I can think of. I'm tested maybe, but uh, but not really ever got that far away from it. And so how was your childhood affected by your faith? Like, was it comfortable? Was it warm? Was it like uh, a major part or just sometimes? Yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty major part. I mean, you'd know where to find us on a Sunday morning, and my parents are are very loving and warm um, people. They, you know, I still when I go down and see them, they're still alive at uh, almost ninety five and almost ninety four. Um, they, you know, when I go down and meet the people where they live in their residence care facility, they tell me what nice people they are, and I I agree. So. You know, I grew up in a boring town like 95% of all boys. I, I think we all think we grew up in the most boring town in the world. But, um, yeah, it was it was pretty, looking back and with perspective, it was a pretty simple childhood and pretty easy from that point of view. And so when has your faith and when has Christianity helped you in a time that wasn't easy? Can you give an example of like a profound or not even profound, but just important time for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a... <laughs> Again, it'd be hard to find when it when it hasn't been in the in terms of when I have gone through times that haven't been easy. You know, right now we're in elder care uh, sort of time period, and so that's um, wearing. <laughs> uh, obviously, times when we had you know little kids around were uh, grueling at times. The, you know, I don't think I remember the first year of my daughter's life because we had kids seventeen month months apart. Um, you know, we had some time periods where I would say were a little more stressing. Like um, at one point when my daughter was in junior high, she developed a blind spot in one eye. And, you know, we immediately have imaginations and enough knowledge to be dangerous in terms of health care to, you know, wonder what's going on. She didn't immediately realize until she was at the doctor with no bedside manner that one of the things they were worried about was brain tumors and things like that. Uh, and it was just one of those moments where I just felt confident, sure. Um, I wasn't that as worried as I thought I would be in that situation. Um, so, I, you know, those kind of moments it is definitely a time that I lean on my faith, let's say. Cool. And that's kind of where I want to start going uh, with our time is maybe um, to push to push your memory, not to push you <laughs> into helping my, um, my listeners understand, because again, like this, there's no one denomination that we subscribe to or like try to prophesize here. But what I am out to help people with is there's a constant fear of death. There's a constant fear of change even. And I find that religious people have their own version of how to deal with that. And so you just brought up a great one, which is the elder care. Um, so if it's not too painful of a subject to talk about, um, 
what is your faith as far as like what does happen to people when they die? I, I'm very traditional, you know, uh, biblical-based Christianity that there is that there is a heaven, um, that there is a a chance to be with God. So you know that is uh, shouldn't be a surprise for anybody who's read the book. Um, you know, I don't know if you're waiting for the movie, but uh, <laughs> that's definitely what my faith is relative to that. Uh, so I'd say it's easier to face, you know, my, my parents obviously aren't going to be around forever. Um, something about being almost 95, you just don't know how much time you have with them. They're in relatively good health for being that old. But, you know, when you look at the, <laughs> I work in a fintech company and I've had to do look at the statistics from social security, for instance, for what life expectancy is. And when you're that age, it's always a year and a half. <laughs> and then it sort of like gets down to, you know, with the, every year, it seems like you lose a month, but you know, when you make it to 94, you know, they think you're going to make it to 95 and a half. And when you make it to 95, it's sort of like 96 and you know, not quite a half. And, and so we don't know how much time we have with them. Uh, we've had, Joan's mom, my my wife's mom, lived with us during the last four years of her life. She she died in the front room, um, and in hospice care. And and I understand you have experience with hospice care on the other side of that. And I have a great respect and, oh gosh, I don't understand how people can get into that. <laughs> to be honest, uh, it is but a great appreciation for those that do because she was in hospice, not for a long period of time. Um, she was in hospice just for a couple weeks, um, as she just very rapidly went away, uh, went from, gee, I think maybe she's going to get better to, uh, to dying in a course of about two weeks, you know, left enough time for family to get here. Now she was someone who grew up with in the church when she was a kid. And then, married into a, a Catholic family where she really wasn't welcomed into the church because of the traditional uh, differences between the denominations. But I don't think she really was a person of faith. That was probably a little harder dealing with death in her case than it, you know, the upcoming death of my parents um, because because there's more of an issue with that relative the, to not being grounded in faith. That was great. And that was really helpful for me to understand you, but also to understand something that I've actually long forgotten about, which is that any faith is going to help you in the end. It really is. Um, and the people who don't think about it and don't see it coming and then it blindsides them, it's, it's really hard. Um, as far as for how I got into hospice, I just had a lot of experiences as a young child with uh, family, friends, getting sick and dying. And I just happened to like tag along with my mom to a lot of them. And I just kind of got used to that. So it is why I started this podcast. And, um, I, I am curious, um, your faith is not per se controversial, but <laughs> well, that depends who you are, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how, how do you, um, not how do you deal with other people of different faiths? I don't care about that at all. What I care about is, does it ever concern you that there are other religions with actually more members who are just as confident that their version of the afterlife is correct? Does it ever enter your mind that you could be right, they could be wrong, vice versa? Ever any doubts or anything like that? Oh, I certainly thought about that. Um, it doesn't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. But, you know, if you if you're someone who travels, for instance, like I do, uh, you certainly have gone to places where there is a more predominant, 
you know, Hindu faith or more predominant Muslim faith or whatever. So uh, that's certainly something I'm very aware of. Um, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, honestly, uh, because of more personal experiential, you know, times in my faith that, uh, that uphold that faith as it were. And actually I'd love for you to tell, uh, any example of that, just a time of. Sure. Um, well, one of the things that I'd done for about 15 years before the pandemic is um, I was involved in, well, I'm still involved in a chaplain program to the jail population in our county, and uh, both on the board and then also uh, was volunteering for about 15 years uh, in a lockdown unit for violent youth offenders in juvenile hall. And uh, so I know i a larger number of murderers and gangbangers than most people do. Uh, but that has also been a place where I have, you know, seen faith grow. And, and the one story that I think of is there's a kid and I, you know, I don't want to name his name, obviously, because that's against the rules, uh, even though he's now no longer a, a minor. But uh, he started coming to the Bible study that I was leading and he didn't want to be there, which was really weird because he didn't have to be there. It was one of those units where you could be playing handball or you could be writing letters, you could watch TV, you could play video games. I was coming in in a in an off hour when they didn't have anything, you know, else. Well, they had lots of else programmed. There was lots of other options, so it was very us- unusual to get somebody who really didn't seem to want to be there. And so he started coming, and he came for probably a month before he said more than two words. And then he started asking questions, and uh, then I would come back, you know, a month, a week later, because I'm going on a weekly basis, and he would be reading something, and it's like he'd have questions about what he's reading, and and you could see the faith growing in him. And it wasn't probably till I was there for about six months that I learned more of his story. And he was someone who had been abused by a parent and um, had set the house on fire with his father in it. And uh, his father had died, so he was up on murder charges. But his, the reason he started coming to Bible study is he was in his, his cell, his room, one time. And the way he described it is the room filled up with light, and someone poked him in the chest and said, you're going to Bible study. And... I, you know, if you'd told me that, if he'd come the first time and said, this is why I'm here, <laughs> it would have been one of those things that even as a person of faith, that would have stretched, you know, it's like, okay, you know. But by the time I heard him tell me that, I had been seeing the change. You know, this kid was was broken and closed um, when he started coming. And I saw him come back to life, as it were. You know, I saw a him change over the six months that I'd come to know him. And it made, it finally made sense, right? It was sort of like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, that is not an everyday thing that happens in my life. I don't know about your life, but, um, but it is one of those things that is the kind of things that you go, okay, there's, there's something to this faith. Um, I think of years when I was in the, the non-denominational group and we were, um, in, in college. And I was one of the leaders of that. And we 
we'd have needs for some particular, you know, want to do a concert or something like that where we needed some particular support. We didn't have like a news, you know, email newsletter. This is pre-email or something to go out and reach out to the alumni of the group or something like that. But we would, you know, pray about it. And suddenly we would get a check in the mail from somebody who thought of us and wrote a check. And darn it, if it wasn't usually the right amount, <laughs> so <we're> like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of things that uh, not necessarily big miracles uh, in my life, but enough, you know, if you're paying attention to um, to undergird the, the faith that I have when you get through those some of those difficult times. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I interact with a lot of, um, they call themselves atheists, and they'll say things, though, like, oh, there's a glitch in the matrix, this really strange coincidence happened, and it was the thing I was looking for. And, you know, <laughs> it's what you would call praying, and it's just very interesting to me because I think most people notice these things, you know, they notice that there are just things that we could of course call a coincidence, but there seems to be something behind it. Um, very much switching gears, but it's going back to something you were talking about earlier. Um, I do want to explore the darker and ne more negative side of, um, the afterlife when it comes to Christianity. So I didn't ask you outright, do you believe that there's also a hell? I do. Okay. And so with that in mind, could you tell me how the, knowledge and belief of hell has affected the way you live your life. So I'm not asking about other people, but just on a personal basis. Um, I wouldn't say that. So I didn't grow up in a hellfire and damnation sort of um, environment where, where, well, so I would say I neither believe that, you know, I, I ought to be Christian so I don't go to hell. <laughs> or, and I understand that that is, that is, honestly the environment that some people grew up in within the within the christian church and then i also didn't grow up in the kind of environment that said that it's the you know evacuation plan that christianity is all about the evacuation plan it's all about what happens later um and so my understanding that you know has developed over the 60 years that i've been around and certainly not inconsistent with a lot of other people that I know, is that it's, you know, it's more the retirement plan. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but that Christianity, that, that life is not really, when the Bible talks about heaven, it doesn't really talk about just, so for instance, they, they get more specific. At one point when Jesus is talking about, uh, I've come that you might have life everlasting, and then when you die, that you can be with God. So it's it's two separate thoughts connected, obviously, but it's not that the life that you have starts when you die. It's that it starts now and continues when you die. So to me, hell is finally God gives you what you want of I don't want anything to do with you and withdraws from where you are and that that is that is what hell is, a place without the the presence of God as much as God can be absent. Um, and that all of the the good things that we didn't accredit to him in life, you know, go away. Um, so I really see it more, at, you know, I, I don't think of it necessarily as punishment, just as as the the end of a life that is heading away from God. Wow. Uh, no, that was profound. It was educational. I've never heard anyone phrase it that way. And um, I thought it was by far the most intellectually 
grokable way to explain that that I've ever heard. So I'm going to start repeating that to people. That was incredible. Um, thank you. I'm glad you lead groups and that you work with people because that not only does that inspire me, but it actually sounds so plausible to me that I think it would really help people to hear that more often that, um, you have God's love right now and you really don't want to squander that. Yeah. I mean, I think of the verses where, you know, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. To me, I know some people, when they think of Christianity, and, and I understand this, and sometimes it's sold this way, is um, all the things you don't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're a Puritan, for instance, you know, the, that form of Christianity is uh, the Christians are the people who don't do this, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I probably don't do some of those things, uh, but that's not my understanding. You know, it's not that I don't do, you know, drugs or something like that because I think it's wrong, although I probably do, but I also find it unattractive, right? That, that I don't see that there is life in that choice. And I, and I buy into the idea that we are making our, selves, you know, whatever your faith background is or whatever, we are making who we will become through our choices every day. Um, and some of those choices that I, I don't think will make me the kind of person I want to be. Um, and I, I think of the, the old jokes so that, you know, there's a story about the guy who's, who's building houses and he's working for somebody else and it's going to be the last house he's going to build for them. And he decides that he's going to cut corners and he's going to save the money and he's going to, you know, embezzle basically from his employer because he's been working for him for all these years. And what does he have to show for it? And so he, you know, uses substandard this and substandard that and, you know, not as many two by fours and all these things. And he finishes up the house thinking about, the, you know, this great money that he has squirreled away and the guy he's working for says, you know, I want to thank you for all the work you've done for me over the years. So it's your house. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think we often, you know, act as if we're building somebody, somebody else's life, um, that we don't often use the intentional intentionality that I think that uh, building a life deserves. You know, that's great. I really like that. I, um, the house thing, I've never heard that before. Um, and, and so I've never asked a guest this before, and I don't think you have the authority to answer, but I want to ask you anyway. Um, <laughs> where does, because many faiths believe that your soul is reincarnated, your soul has other lives. Like, where do you believe the soul or originates? Like, did you choose to become a soul that became Chris? Or, like, how is your, what is your faith in that? No, there's, there's no real uh, biblical basis for a pre uh, existing soul, uh, so much as, you know, something that is, is created from, you know, combination of mother and father and, you know, where it resides in terms of physically, I'm not sure is the right question. <laughs> um, but, uh, cause I, you know, I don't know that that's quite the, you know, what it is, although I, you know, I don't have any problem with science that tells me that a lot of my personality is, you know, in, in my brain and how it's wired and all those sorts of things. But I do believe that there is something more to it than that. But no, I, I I don't see any place in in the Bible that talks about a you know a pre-existing um, soul in that fashion. Yeah, and that and that makes sense to me. And the reason I was asking is because I love this idea of this continuum, and that hell is a not 
an eternal place you go to because you're damned, but it's the absence of what we already have here on earth. And then heaven is an abundance of more of what we have. And so with that in mind, the child who's obviously now an adult that you mentioned who started the fire and then started to have faith, is he still capable of going to heaven in, in your faith? Sure. Otherwise, I'm really wasting my time being involved in prison ministry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and one of the nice things I like about being in prison ministry is that once you've gotten to that point that you're involved because you you don't believe that people are, you know, uh, that I can look at somebody and tell if they're predestined to go to heaven or hell. You know, they may be, but I can't tell. And so I have to behave as if they're they're not. And um, I because I'm definitely, you know, if I if in that balance of, well, so. There's a, there's a whole other discussion about uh, predestination versus free will because I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but um, but definitely you get involved in prison ministry because you don't believe that anybody is beyond redemption. The good news is that is then you have to look at your friends and go, well, I guess they're not either, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought of you know think of friends who they broke up because of you know something that happened and the marriage dissolved and it was you know quite possibly one of their faults, but. If I can, you know, sit with a kid who, you know, killed his dad and say that God isn't done with him, why would I write off, you know, one or the either of the friends? And so it it does affect how you look at everyone, I think, after that in a in a positive way. Yeah. I remember reading that Jeffrey Dahmer's father visited him in prison every day until he was murdered and people were like, How can you do that? How can and he just said, you know, I love him, he's my son. Why would I not show him love? Um, and I do, I find it, it's very controversial to tell someone that you, you're not going to judge someone like even like Hitler or some, you know, some very like obvious example for most people. And, uh, so it's, it's wonderful to talk to you today. And, and I don't know that I wouldn't judge Hitler, right? Like, let's be honest here. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm human and, and there's some people who do some amazingly despicable things and it might be difficult for me not to, not to be judgmental in that case. And, you know, um, uh, I, can't say that, you know, if I had been around in World War II and he died, I wouldn't have danced in his grave. I'm let's let's just be honest here. I think there's nothing redeemable in, that came out of that. Um, yeah. So there's, it doesn't mean that it's not challenging. <laughs> totally. Um, and, and, but I think, I don't know, you've given me a healthy perspective today and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And also I just think it's funny because I can't imagine working with violent offenders and you can't imagine working in hospice. And I think we're both doing different sides of a very similar job in that in both departments. So um, I want to thank you for doing that. Um, it's pretty inspirational. Is there any uh, last stories you want to tell before we run out of time here? Anything you want to say? I don't have anything off the top of my mind. I, I'm sure I've got some other story if you had a particular topic, but <laughs> I don't have a story that is urging to, to get out. No, this was great, and I really just wanted to hear your take on everything. You're you're smart, you're sophisticated, you work in tech, you have like so many different hobbies and skills, and thank you again, Chris Christensen. You brought it all together for us today, so I want to thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. Uh, you are awesome, and uh, people, please check them out. And for everyone else, uh, we will see you next week. Walking alone when I walk into you And I see that you see me And I see you hear this tune And I feel that you near me And I see you while the moon